I told him at one point, I feel like our marriage is dying a slow death. You have this really strong friendship. You have this really strong co-parenting relationship, but you don't have intimacy, honesty relationship happening. And that's the third key element that you have to have in order to have a functional relationship. That's why it dies a slow death. What's up, everybody? This is Matt here with the Husband-in-Law Podcast. This is where we share our stories of love, ex-love, marriage, ex-marriage, divorce, ex-divorce, and coming out of a closet that needed to be opened, and so much more. This podcast is for those who are looking to up their relationship game by understanding first yourself, and then others, like your wife, your husband, and your wife's ex-husband, on a whole new level. Welcome to the Husband-in-Law Podcast. Let's get this party started. Welcome to another episode of the Husband-in-Law Podcast. This week, we have Brie joining us, and she is sharing her story of her husband coming out. Um, This is a little bit different than the stories that we have had, and so I'm so excited for you to listen and see how this can look different for everybody in a whole nother way. Also, I want to make it clear that Brie is using the terms and language vocabulary that her current partner is comfortable with. And so as you hear this, to some people, this may be a little triggering. I know I used to say these words and now it's something that I don't say. But at the time that I used them, it was the verbiage that Steve was using and that he felt comfortable with. And so if you are on the other side of coming out and you are not comfortable with these words, please don't listen in. Then it's okay, like if it's triggering at all. But I also want you to know that these are words that some people are comfortable with, even when they have come out or they're in the process of coming out. These are the things that feel good to them and real for them. And that is why I think it's so important and beautiful to share all of these different types of stories. And as you listen to Bree's story, she acknowledges this, that these are the this is the verbiage she uses because it's what her partner is comfortable with. So please enjoy today's episode of the Husband Law Podcast with Bree. All right, my friends, I am super excited to introduce you to Brie. I've known Brie for, I don't know, like a couple years, year and a half. I don't know even know when it was you came into my life, <laughs> but uh, I feel like it's been a long time and she was a part of our coaching groups for a while and it's been so fun to watch her embrace her in this journey. So Brie, welcome to the Husband Law Podcast. Thank you. I can't believe I'm on the Husband in Law podcast. This is like, it's been some, some of my favorite things have come from your podcast. So um, oh, I, I never imagined that I would be here. Uh, but I gained a lot from you and your story. And I felt like uh, I finally reached a place in my story where I was like, I have to share this uh, so that other people can gain something from it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you. I know it's going to impact so many people. And so I appreciate you being willing to share. Um, Okay. So to start off with, as these these interviews have been going, let's start with where your story kind of begins with your partner. So I want to backtrack a little bit because I need to introduce like why this is so complicated and so devastating (laughs) to someone like me. For something like this to occur. So, um, and I kind of wanted to touch on this because um, you you and Steve did come from like this solid faith orthodox background. And it almost makes the story more intense because Mm -hmm. 
you know, you are, you are taught from a young age in this Orthodox religion that you get married and you're basically like marry the person uh, who does all the right things and then you're set for life. And so um, I kind of like, I, I totally was raised with that mentality. And I'm not saying that that is a, a bad mentality yeah. um, entirely to, to hope for a wonderful marriage and um, to hope for an incredible partner and to, and to seek for that. Um, but I had such high hopes for my marriage as a teen that I would like, I had a journal that I would write to my future partner, like every night since I was 15 years old. Mm. And I would pray for him every single night that he would be just amazing, man. You know, like that he was, was going to have like extra angels protecting him and getting him ready for me when he was was there and it was going to be just all perfect. And I, I just, I had this like vending machine mentality to my life. Like if I like put, um, you know, this much money in the vending machine then I'm going to get this many candy bars. And so I thought, okay, well I can do that. Like I will put, actually I'll put like, instead of like a $1, I'm going to put like a hundred dollars in the vending machine. And so I, uh, you know, like I saved like all of my kisses for this man. Like I was like, I'm going to date a lot of guys, but I'm not going to kiss any of them. And I like held my standards like higher than even like my religion, like had set forth. Cause I was like, I am going to like marry like the perfect man. So I need to like set my standards this much higher so that I can marry him. And then I had like had this vision in my head that I would be like, like everyone would want what we had. Like everyone would be like, oh my gosh, like they are the couple. How did you get that? And I was like, oh, I sacrificed everything. I put a hundred dollars in the vending machine and here's what happened to me. I literally thought that was going to be my life. And (laughs) I'm very goal oriented because I um, am a pageant girl. And so I was very goal oriented. Um, since I was 15 I or 14, I competed in pageants. And so I knew what goal setting looked like. And I thought if I just goal set this much, and if I just rely on, you know, my religious upbringing and follow all of the rules, then I will be set for life with this man that will come into my life. So I did want to just backtrack that mm-hmm. and yeah. say that that's the background that I was coming from um, in all of this. <laughs> yeah. And and that's a lot. And also what we were kind of taught growing up, that if you do this and this and this, then you're going to receive this outcome. And so mm-hmm. I remember leaning into that, not maybe to the extent you did, but just, okay, I, I need to read my scriptures. I need to do this. I need to whatever. And then I'm going to be blessed with this perfect mm-hmm. relationship that everybody will idolize. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I got married really young. I got married at 20 and I felt like I was like, like not old, but I was like, I am at the most mature place in my, in my life to make this decision. (laughs) And now I'm like, I tell my kids, do not get married till you're 25 because your brain is not fully developed. And I wish someone would have told me that, but you know, I, I saw other people get married at 18 and 19. So I thought, oh, well I'm waiting until I'm 20. So this is great. And I was actually like 20 and a half. I remember thinking like, I'm 20 and a half. Like I am like fine. And I had taken literally every marriage class that I possibly could from, from like high school age to make sure that I had the right partner. So I, 
like um, was minoring in marriage and family studies from a religious college. And so I was like, okay, I know that I need to marry someone with the same family background as me. I know that I need to know his family of origin. Um, I had already like said no to to a couple of, of guys that wanted to get married who didn't line up with some of the principles that I was taught in my classes. And so I was like, okay, and then I'm supposed to know him in every season. And so I'm going to know him, you know, all of the seasons. And then when I found my guy, he was someone that I grew up with. And so I was like, I would literally tell people, well, I know this family, my family's grown up with them. And so there couldn't be any skeletons in the closet. I literally would say that. And I am like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe what it's almost like God had a really funny sense of humor when he was like writing my story or something like I, I'm sure he's laughing at every moment of it. So anyway, I've had a lot of lessons to learn. And so I am here now to tell you more, but <laughs> do you have any questions for me? <laughs> and no, any of it? I okay. just love the irony of there being nothing in the closet. <laughs> nothing. Because I know exciting. part of what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we get married and we actually, we get along so well. And, you know, we had such a good first year of our marriage and, The only thing that kind of was weird one day was that I had a pair of shoes that I, yeah, I had a pair of shoes that became stretched out and it was about four months in and I was like, why are my shoes not fitting anymore? And I was so perplexed by it. And I was like, well, my mom's like a little tiny bit um, bigger than me. And I, we were living with my mom at the time. So I thought she had snuck in my room and like grabbed my shoes to wear one time and didn't tell me. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I need to go talk to my mom. I don't know what's going on. And then he stopped me and he's like, no, 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 don't, don't, don't go, don't go ask your mom about your shoes. And I was like, uh, why? And he was like, uh, because I wore them. And I was like, what? Like I, so then my thought process was, okay, it's like while you were sleeping, the movie while you were sleeping, like she hides her neighbor in the closet and he says he tries on her shoes and he trips and she laughs about it. And I'm thinking, okay, this man has never lived with a woman before. And he's probably thinking, these shoes are so little. I wonder if I could fit my feet in them. I just figured it was something like that where it was silly, like like that movie. And so I was like, okay. (laughs) And then we went to college um, because we were at a break from college when we first got married. And so then when we went to college four months later, um, there were a few things that were occurring that were just not really um, something that I had thought. And I wouldn't even say like with my, uh, with my naive and orthodox brain, I, I didn't even know what to make of it because it was just very strange. Just, um, things like wanting to wear my, my sexy clothes, my lingerie that I was, that I was supposed to wear to, for him. And then he wanted to wear them for me. And I was like, that doesn't work for me. Um, and so, and I was trying to do it, you know, in the nicest way, but it was just, um, the beginning of what was going to rock my whole world, my whole marriage. Um, so yeah, it went from four months in having this weird thing to one year in, I was taking all my lingerie 
to donate to Goodwill because um, it was a problem for him. And we went to our bishop, uh, our clergy of our of our faith, and we shared with him like some of the struggles that we were having. And um, he didn't know what to make of it. And he asked my husband, are you gay? Like, is this like a... And I'm like, thank goodness he's still attracted to me. Thank goodness this isn't a situation where I have to worry about that. And, um, and you know, my husband's like, oh, no, definitely not. Like, I love my wife. Like, she, yeah, I love... I'm super attracted to her. And so he goes, well, I don't know what to make of this, but I'm going to send you to student counseling, which is not very effective when you have a bunch of students that don't know what they're doing, working with a very complicated situation. And then at the time, it wasn't, no one knew of anyone that really did this. This wasn't what it is yeah. now. And and if it had been, I would have been a lot more concerned about what was to come of this situation. And so it was a lot of like them telling me I need to check in on him and ask how he's doing. And they called it a compulsive behavior. And they said, just check in on him about his compulsive behavior. And so we would, you know, check check in and he would always say, everything's fine. And so for five years of our marriage, he would always say, everything's fine. And we, I, right before we had our first child, I said, are you good with your compulsive behavior? Because I, it's like, I want to start a family. Like, I feel like it's a, a good time for us to have kids. And he said, yeah, I'm good. Yes. That's fine. Yeah, we can have kids. Let's let's have kids. Did you feel at that point that everything was good? Like, how did you feel? Like, deep in you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, well, here's the other complication of this is that I feel like in my head, I had like this ideal of what I wanted in my head. And I wanted mm-hmm. it so badly that I didn't yep. even know how to look deep within my situation to go, is this good? is this okay? Is this man like equipped to start a family with you? I, I remember like not even feeling like that was even going to be a question to God that I needed to go and say, do I need, because we are going to church every Sunday, we're doing all of the things that Mm -hmm. we're taught to do. And so it wasn't like there was anything crazy happening, but now that I have done a lot of work, and a lot of looking back and and I have learned to listen to my intuition, which I had never learned before. Nope. It, a lot of my thinking was very expectation-based, very, what would other people think of me? Um, what does the church tell me to do? And I never really had that opportunity to really look deep within uh, things that I, that were great. Like having a marriage and having babies, those are both like things that are looked at as the highest thing that you can do accomplish in our faith. And so I wanted to do all of that. And so for me to look and look at the, at him and go, are you really, well, you just went to church with me yesterday. So I like, how am I going to like yeah. really decipher yep. hit my man that is supposed to be my partner in everything? How would I even think that he was being dishonest with me? Because at this point, I, I didn't really have any, um, reason to not believe him. Actually. I don't, I don't think that yeah. he had ever been dishonest with me that I knew of, uh, because that had all happened so early on in our marriage, but yes, looking back, absolutely. I knew there was something more to this, but I remember thinking, well, 
how could God not want me to have children with him? And, you know, it was just, um, not an option, but, but yeah, it, (laughs) that is a complex thought that I've had to go back in time. And, and so, yeah, what happened was we had our first child and four months after we had him, I came home one day and he had looked at me and said, I've been lying to you. And he proceeded to tell me that he had been doing his compulsive behavior throughout our whole marriage and that he hadn't stopped. And I looked at him and I was crying and I took our baby away because I think he was holding the baby. I think I took the baby away and I just was crying. And I was like, why would you let me have this child with you? Because at the time I was still in my, you know, I was like 25 years old. Like I could have moved forward with my life with someone else. Yeah, And then now that we had had a child together, I did not feel like I could do that. I did not feel like it was even an option. And of course, you know, we go to the clergy about this and they tell me that um, actually the first thing they said to me was, oh, you're so happy. You look so happy all the time. And oh my gosh, well, how could this be happening to you? And it was almost like he he was laughing and he said like, I, you're so happy. Um, and I was like, oh, you don't know what the depths of my soul says. And then, you know, like that led to that year, like finding out about an emotional affair that had been occurring. Um, and so when I went to him about that, you know, he actually laughed at me and said, why are you coming to me about this? Because I guess it was just an emotional affair. And so it wasn't a big deal. And I, I was like having a hard time because I didn't have money to, and I didn't even like know anything about like resources for therapy. There weren't podcasts at the time. Um, I couldn't ask any of my friends for help because I, I knew that like things within a marriage needed to stay within a marriage. I couldn't ask my family for help for the same reasons. Also, like I wasn't really taught that therapy was like a thing yeah. unless like you were really messed up. And I was like, I'm not really messed up. Like, um, and so, yeah, the, um, our clergy was not like looking at me and my needs and that, that was very hard and very painful. Um, yeah. and he was telling my husband, um, that he didn't have a problem that he just needed to be more busy. And so, um, that was another factor where it was like just pushing everything under the rug and not giving support to the spouse that needs it. Um, or even the man that's struggling, um, wasn't, yeah. was kind of like shunned and told, you know, you don't have a problem like this. You just need to be busy and not, and not do these side life things that are going on. And so, so yeah, <laughs> what do you do with that? You know? Yeah. So, yeah. So that was five years in and very rocky five-year situation. But then, you know, I feel like when you have kids, you're in this mode of like, okay, now we have now we have a kid. Now we need to give the kid a sibling and now we mm-hmm. need to buy a house yep. and we need to do the grown up thing. And you know, if the clergy member had said this, and even though I like see on the side, like crying and begging him to like ask for therapy so that I could have therapy and it wasn't happening. I still was very goal oriented in, okay, I'm going to have my next child because yeah. I wanted, because another thing was in my head and I'm like super like, want my family to like fit into this box. I like, okay, I want to have five kids by the time I'm 35. If I'm starting at 25, I'm doing the math here. And I'm like, okay, I need to like pop these babies out like every two years. And so I had my second baby and then I had my third baby. 
And, um, and I'm still asking the same questions I was asking from year one was, do you still have your compulsive behavior that you're dealing with? And, you know, how are you doing with that? And he is still telling me, no, I'm doing fine the whole entire time of this. And so I'm on edge, but I don't know what to do about it. Because again, even though I knew that he had had the lying in the past, I'm like, what are you, how in the world do you even know what, how to uncover this? Or there was not the therapy option. So I didn't have any support because the one person that I was supposed to go to outside of my marriage wasn't helping me. And so I'm not, I don't know what to do. So that was five years. Then we, then we had this with the kids. And by then we had been married 11 years by the time we had our three kids and our baby was, uh, you know, still a baby, but I found out more <laughs> once that, once that third baby came and we moved into a new house and, um, just some very strange things were happening again. Um, I, he had started working from home and, uh, he would had like all these excuses of why he couldn't go to church with me for a couple weeks. And I'm not going to go into details on that, but I, you know, did come, I, I went with him to a gathering and looked at him and he was wearing eyeliner and we came home and I got the kids situated and I, I went in the room and I just said, why are you wearing eyeliner? And he said, I'm not. And it was a situation where I was like, I'm literally being lied to in front of my face with evidence from someone on their face. And I don't know what to do with this. And so um, that was very concerning for me. And at the time we were um, sharing a closet because throughout our marriage, I have had to put locks on my closets. Um, I have had to put locks on my doors and make sure that we have safeguards in place for when I leave town. Because that's like, even though he was telling me that nothing was happening, we were putting up those safeguards um, for our marriage to, for him and his temptations, yeah. you know, um, and I'm saying, and I'm using these terminologies because I know that it might sound crazy to people that maybe aren't from an Orthodox religion. Um, but those are still wording that that is used um, for all of this and and wording that that is still used for it. And so, um, so yeah, we were you know sharing a closet at the time, and I'm like, okay, I need you to get out of my closet. It's funny that you know the closet terminology, but it's like I need my closet back because the other thing is like I had so much trauma from like grabbing things in my closet that were all of a sudden didn't fit me anymore. And, um, and so then I, I buy new clothes because I'm like, okay, I need to know that this is mine, that this is mine, my, my own. Um, and then, um, and then the funny, the other hilarious thing that God is like hilarious is that I am super into fashion and I like have like a a career in, you know, the beauty and the fashion industry. And so, I, it's not like I can, and I would tell him like, I don't know what to do because I can't just all of a sudden turn into a tomboy. Like I can't just like all of a sudden, okay, I'm going to get rid of all of my makeup. Like I'm going to get rid of all of my, I, I mean, cause it, it isn't even just for me. It's like the way that I make money and like what brings me joy. And so I'm like, 
I don't know what to do with this situation because here I am and I am this way and I am inherently this way, but you are also inherently this way. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I can't even go into the shower and leave the room with um, my bra on the floor without it being a temptation. And that's a hard way to live. That's a hard way to live. Mm-hmm. It's hard to feel like you have to monitor somebody else's behavior or feel like being you is triggering somebody else. And again, Mm -hmm. these are going back to orthodox, what we've been taught. Oh, that's a triggering thing for Mm -hmm. him. This Mm -hmm. isn't necessarily what I think you or I would use these terms now, but, um, yeah, I mean, I'm still learning what the, I'm still really learning like what, what to say about this. And so I am trying to like be respectful to, um, whatever I, you know, I, I might say things that are like maybe inappropriate in someone's eyes of like, that's not a temptation or that's not whatever, but yeah, but it is complicated because you're taught a certain way and, and born and, and born with certain ways of thinking. Um, and so, um, Anyway, finally, like at that point of um, finding out that he was, you know, still very much enthralled in this life, um, I had him write down year by year what had occurred. And unfortunately, I did not even know the full extent of the truth until very recently um, because it there's just a lot that gets un- that just... Um, I don't know, maybe like a disassociation happens with someone who is very much like trying to live, um, inside a box that they don't yeah. quite fit into. And so he's like forgetting about things and writing down all these things and that he thinks that I can handle hearing, but then more would find, I'd find out more. And I don't even want to go into details on all of that, <laughs> but there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of details on that of like how I had to find out. And, and that's even more, um, you know, because you're like thinking your partner finally told you the whole truth, and then oh my gosh, they actually didn't. And then you're going to them, and and some of it they left out, left out on purpose, and some of it they literally forgot about. Yeah. Um, and so, um, so yeah, uh, at year eleven, I dove down deep in therapy with him, and I said, if you don't call your parents, then I will, and if you don't call our religious clergy who at the time we hadn't gone to about this. And it's kind of a big deal to have to like go back and to a new person and share these details. And so, um, so I just said, I I need all of the help that I can get. And I also was like, and I'm also not telling my parents, I'm not telling my family because I wanted still to maintain this, this, um, image of him and, and not have him judged. And so, I'm like, okay, who can we bring in here to help us that's safe? And so I brought in his his parents and um, we asked that they kept it really private. Unfortunately, they shared it with his siblings. So, um, but when it was shared with his siblings, it was not, it was uh, that he's struggling. And so then it, it, it very much like felt like I was going to be blamed for the struggles, you know, because mm. I like the extent of everything wasn't coming out. And I was a hot mess because I'm dealing with all of this. So it yeah. looks like, oh You're my gosh, emotional like, heaviness. Yeah. Like she is not, I, I don't know. And, and that's just probably my own personal feelings, um, a lot of it. But I do have like some evidence to believe that like I was judged within the family for some of this, the stuff that 
that he was struggling with. And I'm going, okay, like I'm literally just wearing my bra and taking it off and worried about it. Like that's my life, but you don't understand like all the complexities of this, but I can't share that with you. And so, um, so anyway, the, the therapy, you know, we were like, we're going to use different types of therapy. We're going to do hypnotherapy and we're going to do, you know, church therapy. And, um, I, I was like, what vitamin, I like wrote down, what vitamins do we need to give you? Like what support can we use to tackle our family as much as possible? So we had been doing all the therapies and things. And, you know, at some point you're like, okay, I feel pretty good. And he would like stop going to therapy for like six months. And then all of a sudden I was like, I have to go back. There's something going on. And then I would go back and then eight months later, I'd find out that he had been lying to me for those eight months and that things weren't good. And no wonder that my intuition was telling me I needed to go back to therapy, but I still didn't know how to rely on my intuition and to, um, you know, I'm still trying to fit into this religious box of like my family's appearing to be fine at church and we're doing all the things. Um, but it, it was such a struggle for those. Um, so we, we struggled like that for five years, um, in the therapy with the lying going on on the side, tackling it like it was an addiction. And, um, and then eventually like I was, I was breaking along the way. I was still, I was trying to find myself again. So I got back into pageantry. I started traveling a lot so that I at least was living for me and just kind of took the reins off of him so that I could just live, um, live for me and make sure that I was accomplishing things for me. And of course I was right there by his side as his wife, but it was very hard to be by his side when I was being lied to a lot. And, um, we eventually became bedroom separated. And so then he, he's living in another bedroom. I'm living in my bedroom, um, trying to find peace. Um, I had to, um, hire a new therapist that specialized in betrayal trauma because, I had had previous therapists that were not helpful in that realm. And Mm so I started EMDR. I started, um, which included like brain spotting, bilateral frequency, tapping. um, And I had previously been working with the hypnotherapy, which was helpful. And so I was just doing everything that I can to just like emotionally regulate myself um, through this process. And I'm thinking that we're building and that we're getting to a place where he can move back into the bedroom with me. And so, you know, that was like a, a over a year bedroom separation happening where I thought we were building together. We were going to like couples therapy every week. We were going to individual therapy. He's still like checking in with me. Um, he signed a document stating that he was going to be honest with me within 24 hours of, of anything that happened. And then what we found, and I found out after, yeah, a- anyway, everything went to, um, everything came to a head when I found out on a family trip that there was still dishonesty happening and there was still secret life happening. And so I knew at that point that I was going to have to, to leave the relationship because there, I didn't yeah. know how to build a relationship without honesty And I actually Googled it. I was like, okay, maybe in my Orthodox brain, like there's maybe my Orthodox brain is telling me that I can't live without honesty. So I like went to Google. I'm like, can a marriage survive without honesty? Because we get along really well. You know, our family is, you know, we have a lot of love in our family. So yeah. um, 
I wouldn't say that we're a dysfunctional family per se, but there isn't honesty. So can I live this way? And it, even Google was like, no, you have to have honesty in your relationship. So I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, but um, I feel like a lot of, it had to, a lot of really traumatic things had to happen um, with the dishonesty and with everything in order for me to really feel like I could even move forward and step away from the relationship as I knew it. And I don't know if that's at the point when I reached out to you, Jessica, it may have been, but I, anyway, I've been, I've been like actual separated from my husband out of the house for like a year and a half. I feel like in the LGBTQ world, it's a long process. I feel like it's a long, like, it's almost like, um, you know, in some, like in other, like typical divorce situations, like it feels like it just happens so much quicker. But like, I, I told him at one point, I feel like our marriage is dying a slow death. And he's like, no, it's not. And like, literally it it is like, it's like Mm -hmm. this slow death because you have this really strong friendship. You have this really strong, like co-parenting relationship, but you don't have like this intimacy, honesty relationship happening. And that's like the third key element that you have to have in order to have a functional relationship. But the other two are really strong, but that third pillar is just not strong at all. And so I think that's why it's, it dies a slow death. So, so yeah, we've, um, we'll be divorced any day now. And, um, I've still had to seek so much more healing than, than my EMDR, my betrayal trauma specialist. Like I had to reach out to support groups and I found you um, as a life coach and I've gone to, you know, I know you host retreats. I haven't gone to one of yours yet. I did go to another Mm-hmm. Um, retreat and I've been doing like cold plunging and extra workouts and I've been attending like other faith groups even like just so that I can like have more Jesus in my life because I was like I need all of it right now so I am like right now my whole life is healing and I'm hoping that by doing all the healing now and by tapping into all of the resources now that when I'm ready I will be able to move forward in my life further than if I were to do the healing later, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things that I talk about a lot in coaching and, and with individuals is listen, time, we always say time heals all wounds. And I'm like, it's not really true. It's time with Mm -hmm. intention. Like you're doing that heals our wounds. And yes, we're never like, I don't believe we're ever fully healed. I think Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, then I learned this new thing, but we equip ourselves with the tools to move Mm -hmm. through big, heavy emotions and to understand what we need and all those things. And I love that you were doing that. I remember when you went to that retreat and how powerful that was for you. Mm -hmm. And I was so excited to see those shifts that came from that. Um, And honestly, hearing you, because we haven't worked together for a little bit, but hearing you now, there's a huge shift in you of how you have um, taken some of the things we had talked about and the things from your therapy and are implementing those mm-hmm. and seeing this in a different way. Yeah. I'm really trying to like, first of all, stay in my own lane with my story. And so that's why I am being really careful about like what I share about his side of the story, because he definitely has this struggle that he, he very much is still in this mentality that this is an addiction for him. And so mm-hmm. some of the terminology that I still use is based upon his still terminology that he uses. Yeah. And I don't know where he's going to land, but I, 
I, I started like watching actions first. And I think you taught, you were one of the ones that taught me that when you've spoken about this, Oh, it was huge, Jessica, just to talk about like, okay, he says that he wants this. He says that he wants this, but what are the actions associated with that? And do I know based upon his actions that I will have safety in the relationship in the future? And because I don't have the backing of that is another reason why I had to move forward with the divorce. And a lot of people would be like, oh my gosh, you're an idiot. Like, why would you stay so long with someone that's like dishonest with you? But I think that when you're in this bubble of like, we have a really loving and happy and functional family who goes to church and does all the things, like, why would you (laughs) want to give that up? What you don't, and then you're like all the messages of like, you should never give that up, right? Like you should Mm -hmm. always keep the family together at all costs. And so I'm just learning that sometimes in divorce, like a family can still look like a family and it can still be loving and we can still care for each other. And I very much like still look at him like he is my partner in raising these children. And he, like we're putting away like decorations yesterday and he's helping me in the garage. And I'm like, I am so blessed. Like I am so thankful and so blessed that he is such a good father and such a good friend to me and such a good partner. But I also have to label it for what it is and go, but there is not honesty or intimacy within the bounds of the marriage that I signed up for. Yeah. And I signed up for a full marriage and and I hope that one day I can have a full marriage, you know? You're going to, Brie. It's mm-hmm. coming for you. All of those all of those hopes and dreams um, will be fulfilled. And I often think like, you know what, you've, you've had this beautiful relationship and you are going to have another beautiful relationship that's going to be beautiful in different ways. And ideally easier in a lot of ways that doesn't carry that stress of needing to worry about, oh, I'm leaving my bra out or all of those things. Like that's mm-hmm. a heavy weight to carry. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited for you in, you know, the relate the co-parenting relationship that you have with your current partner and mm-hmm. also the relationship you get to have in the future with somebody new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like there needs to be more people that speak out of the of the situation of like what it is like to be in the mixed orientation world of a marriage and what it is like to be in a, like what you've done with Steve, just the divorce world of, you know, like, cause I thought for sure, like once we file for divorce, that everything's going to change. And then everyone says the worst comes out in someone in, in divorce. And I haven't seen that. I, I really haven't seen that. And I've listened to things that you've said about your divorce of how it went down and how he was like, just wanted to take care of you guys. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what's going on here too. It's, it's so, and it's almost like a very sweet thing, a very sweet, like they know that they are still trying to come to terms with who they are and they don't want you to be in this anymore with them. Like they don't want you to have to carry that anymore with them either. So, um, yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, I just look at the blessings behind it and I am trying to just move forward with like a lot of excitement and hope for, for what is to come in the future. Yeah. And kudos to you. Like divorce doesn't have to look one way. And that's why we share is because there's an opportunity here for it to be different. There are still big feelings. There's still a lot of emotions. And also we can have a divorce that's mutually respectful and 
that we work through those big things and are intentional with. And I'm so happy for you that you're you're doing that and that you have a partner that's doing that alongside you. Yeah. And I always tell my kids, like, you have the best daddy ever. And, um, <laughs> you know, like, and it is, it is really sweet to, to see that they are, it's, what's sweet is to see that they are equipped to deal with heavy things. Yeah. Um, I, what I didn't know how to deal with heavy things as a child because I, I didn't have anything heavy that happened to me as a child. And so as an adult, yeah. I had to learn the hard way. It's almost been like a big, like slap in the face to me as an adult, because I was like, but I thought life was a vending machine. And then I'm like, oh my gosh. And I thought therapy was for crazy people. You know, like I've had to really like undo a lot of what I just expected life looked like. And so for my kids, like I'm literally sitting here by tons of therapy books next to me that I share with my kids and we do therapy games and we have like little like emoji people everywhere were like, what are your feelings today? Because I was literally like, just not really taught about feelings. Like the bad feelings were bad. And, um, and so it is really special that I'm able to have these really in-depth conversations with my kids. And one of the things that I did to help me cope and heal and to help other families was I wrote a children's book and, um, and it is, um, to promote healthy conversations within a family on difficult topics. Um, because I think that that is one of the hardest things about being a parent in some ways is like having, how do you introduce tough topics? But also you don't want, like, you don't want your child to grow up not thinking that, um, they can talk to you about things. And so, um, so yeah, I'm really excited. I'm going to publish that book this year. I'm right now, like in conversations with illustrators and stuff. So, I have some really like happy things that my kids are rooting me on. They're like, mom, we love you and your book mm-hmm. and we're so proud of you. And it's just, it's just really sweet. It's, it's a really sweet, we still have so much love in our family, even despite everything. I love that. I can't wait for your book. I'm excited to see it when you get it published. So keep me posted on that and we will keep our okay. audience posted if that's something you want to share at that point. Okay. And yeah, I'm I'm happy for you. There there is so much love that can come from hard things. And there's so many blessings and gifts that we get to give our children. We're often so afraid and ourselves of tackling these hard things, but really when we do tackle them and are willing to address them and be honest about it, we get to have this beautiful thing of being able to teach our kids things we weren't taught and learning those things now in our life so we can use those in future relationships and our relationship with Mm -hmm. ourselves, our relationship with our kids. And it's so powerful. So thank you for being here today and sharing your story. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate it. And I know it is going to help so many people. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Okay, my friend, if you are listening to this and you were like, oh my gosh, I want to be able to find support. I want to embrace my own timeline as I navigate this process. I want to embrace me and find the peace and joy within me so that I can have the peace that I want as I'm transitioning into divorce or as I am staying with my partner and trying to figure out what the right path is for us. If you are looking for that, please go get signed up for the free workshop that I have happening February 21st head to the show notes. I am not 100% sure if it's on waitlist or if it is 
actual open for registration, but head there and then you will be the first to be notified when official registration is open. If it isn't already, I believe it's actually opening up next week. So you're probably getting on the wait list right now, but get on that wait list so that you know when this free workshop is happening. It will not happen again until next fall. And so take the action now. You can get the support. You can be farther along in your healing process if you act now. And what the free workshop is, it's helping you find a community. It's also going to teach you three of the things that are supportive for you to do after a partner comes out or after you have experienced betrayal in your relationship, maybe both so that you can find the things that you are looking for. You're not going to let this one person or this one situation influence the rest of your life. You're not going to let it be the thing that defines you forever. Instead, you are going to take back your voice and find yourself again after this situation. And I think that's one of the common themes we have heard here and that I hear over and over again in coaching is that these people have found themselves again after going through this and now they have this great gift to take on their journey for the rest of their life is knowing who they are and what it is they want and being able to speak up in that for that in a way that feels good for them. So this workshop is going to help you start that process. It is also going to share ways that we can work together continuing forward. Should you be like, oh my gosh, I want more. I need more. I want the results that these individuals are having that have been on this podcast. I want that. Get signed up. Let's go. The workshop is free. And then you get to decide after that if you want to continue forward and take on more or not. I'm sending you love, my friend. You can do hard things. You are worth it. You've got this and we can do it together. You're not alone.